Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond, your host, and today we are talking about what Calvinism is and isn't. So I think this is going to be a really good episode. And for this episode, I have with me John Lewis. Hi, thank you for having me again. And Mr. David Drover. Where you at, boys? This is it. And Steve Dodd himself. Hey, how's it going? And uh, yeah, I think we got a pretty packed room here today. You know, COVID-friendly, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Staying good and distant from the rest of you guys. Yeah, there's some some of you guys I don't even want to touch. I just and got on a, vaccine, a good, on so good, good day. <laughs> yeah, I mean you just got vaccinated today. <laughs> woo woo. Yeah, I gotta wait a little while longer. Yeah, it's because you're from America. Yeah. No. <laughs> He's from America. America. I'm pretty sure that's a criteria, isn't it? You have to check off the box if you're an American or not. Yeah, we'll, we'll make you wait longer if you're from America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So um, I think it's going to be a good one. I mean, I know um, Calvinism was always an interesting topic, even when I was going through my Bible college. You know, it was you know, from an Arminian view, which, you know, is opposite of Calvinism. Right. Uh, we'll do an episode later on on Arminianism. Uh, but today we're going to go through some, you know, some of the more common questions people who, you know, believe in uh, a Calvinism view will say and get asked about your view. Because some people don't think it's biblical. Um, some people will call it, call it sometimes, you know, downright heretical. Some people, you know, there's just multiple views of this. So I thought you guys would be great to help me break this down. Well, I, I've got to be honest. Uh, when I first heard about Calvinism, I can remember the professor I was talking to about it. He was a philosophy professor from, of all things, Calvin College, uh, speaking at my local university when I was doing my undergrad. And he said, uh, he, he you know explained the Calvinist uh, view of what Scripture says. And I remember saying to him, not only do I not believe in your God, your God sounds evil. Yeah, when I first worked for Calvinism, I was like, God, it's like, this doesn't seem right at all. Like, and I was like, "You guys are just stupid." <laughs> like, I, I thought I thought Calvinism was like, yeah, one of the worst things ever dreamt up. Um, but anyway, so let's 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 walk into this, and we'll see. You know, what are the answers to you know some of the most important questions um, we get asked? So, first one here: If God chooses who will be saved, then why bother with evangelism? So let's break that down first. Like, you know, does God choose who's saved or not? How does that work from the view of a Calvinist? Well, I can tell you just from my experience, like what you guys were saying about uh, when you first heard about Calvinism, the professor that was teaching it to us started off the lecture by saying secondary uh, theological doctrines are the most divisive and will divide the church. And then he went into Calvinism. Yeah. And and, he, and I think he followed it up at the end by saying, uh, a lot of this comes from us trying to figure out God. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in trying to figure out God, you know, we try to figure out, well, obviously we're trying to figure out a being who is far beyond ourselves. Um, so sometimes what we the conclusions we come to can be a little hard to grasp sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just to... Um, I guess kind of if anybody's never heard of this term called Calvinism before, it's not only just trying to figure out 
who God is and what God is, but more a little bit more specifically how we're saved. Mm. Um, it's all about the topic of salvation, basically. What is that? What does that look like? How does that happen? Um, these are the sorts of questions that Calvinism and Arminianism, these sorts of systematic theologies, would kind of right. approach to answer. Now, I have to be clear here. There's usually more to Calvinism than just you know mm-hmm. uh, the the soteriology, which is the you know theory of salvation involved. But I do also want to point out here that this isn't. Our, Okay, Calvinism is named after the guy John Calvin, mm-hmm. or Jean Calvin, if you're going to be French about it. Ooh. John Calvin. <laughs> uh, he was, in fact, French. But in uh, the, and the opposition, opposite position, Arminianism is based on Jacobus Arminius. Now, the problem that we're going to face is that neither of these positions is honestly following the, the guys in question. For example, to be pretty simple about it, I disagree with Calvin on a lot of things. Mm. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that I am in fact a, a Reformed Baptist mm. means that I disagree with Mormon baptism, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are, I think the, the term would typically be used, the doctrines of grace, which right. is kind of typically what we would ascribe to Calvinism right. more, I guess, um, pointedly necessarily right. than, say, all of Calvin's institutes that he wrote. Well, and, and two, though, I'm also trying to get get around one of the problems that some people will have, that this is a doctrine of men. This is actually just a short form for how we read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just our, our approach to, you know, answering those big questions of right. how salvation works its way out, um, you know, how God rules, you know, sovereignly over creation, uh, and, how it plays itself out in our daily lives. And as you said, how God reigns over even our decisions and ideas to become saved, Mm -hmm. which is going to be the big question that you talked about. And like you said, why bother with evangelism? Well, God knows who is going to be saved and who's not, but I don't. And, you know, (laughs) I was commanded by Jesus to go out and... um, Yep. yep. And, And God choosing people to be saved doesn't mean that he also hasn't chosen a method that people will... Right be saved. Mm -hmm. And that method that I think we see in scripture is that he uses the preaching of the gospel to save people. That's what, that's what he uses, the preaching of the word. Yeah. And I think too, this is going to be something we'll see in a lot of these questions that you've put together. We have to remember when we're thinking about these things to separate out uh, God's uh, ultimate will and God and the methods by which he uses it. Because this is going to come up again and again, Mm -hmm. the the que- and so I guess the end end point would be, I wouldn't see any difference. Uh, I I don't know why God's predestination necessarily means that one form of evangelism or not evangelizing is more the point. Mm-hmm. And so with that being the case, the fact that God in fact commands us to evangelize mm-hmm. would be ac- adequate reason for us to follow through with it. Yeah. So the Calvinist view would be that you know God chooses some to be saved. Um, though that's some being many, we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but so God is one who, you know, gives a person the faith to respond. Right. Uh, because you're, you're totally depraved, you're lost in your sin, dead to your sin, and a dead person can't do anything of themselves. So it is God who, you know, through his grace gives you faith to turn to him and then respond to his offer of salvation. Um, uh, so like, you know, like you said, John, like, you know, we don't know who's going to be saved. Mm-hmm. God, God knows, uh, but you know, so we can't just sit around and be like, "Oh no, that's okay." You no, know, God, God, God will take care of that. That's fine. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you could, but then that would actually be showing that you're probably not saved. But we'll deal with that in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And I mean, just, to, I mean, I guess maybe one of the most clear places where we're kind of commanded to go out and, and make disciples, what would be Matthew 28? Just Absolutely. in case anybody's looking, you know, right. we're told to go and make disciples, teaching them mm-hmm. and all that I've commanded you and baptizing you. Baptism episode from last week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's just one spot um, where, you know, we're commanded to basically go out and essentially, I don't think, I think we often in the church, this is maybe a topic for another day, but mm-hmm. um, probably differentiate discipleship and evangelism too much. I think they're much more interconnected than we often treat them. Um, so when he says go and make disciples, I think that, you know, that starts with evangelism, right? So, yeah. And of course, even as Jesus commands us to go tell people about him, even uh, they're in the Gospels, we see Jesus saying things like, you know, uh, all who God gives me will come to me. Mm-hmm. John 6. Yep. So, yep. I mean, it's it mm-hmm. seems pretty clear that God does, in fact, make the statement, both of these claims scripturally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and also, um, sorry, Adam, just one more quick thing. When we're talking about this idea of God choosing some, I mean, essentially, the, the more biblical words that we see in, in Scripture, just in case people are wondering, again, when you think of things, and we'll probably do episodes, I think, in the future, talking more in depth about these things, but the, the word like election, um, predestination, those words right. in the Bible, that's kind of the, the sphere, the stuff that we're talking about when we say God choosing people mm-hmm. or electing people or predestining people. Um, just to clarify that too, and and these are all biblical words. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, let, let's be clear. Like these, like mm-hmm. predestination, election, Ephesians like, one, Romans eight. Yeah, it's um, it's it's right yeah. there in scripture. And you know, I think Steve, you said the Matt Chandler said once. I mean, we could be wrong about this, but I think he said once. Don't worry. The, the original Greek there means predestined. Exactly. <laughs> right. There's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it. This is this is what it means. So we have to deal with it in some way. Right. Um, and this would be opposed to what uh, Armenians would say. And like I said, we, again, we'll do uh, an episode from you know, an Armenian perspective. Hopefully, maybe we can get something, someone to guest on that at some right. point. Um, but for them, it would be that uh, there is prevenient grace or prevenient grace that you know, God established from the beginning enough so that men, even though they're totally depraved, are able to, by God's grace, still make that decision to turn to him. Exactly. Not that God gives them that faith, but that, you know, there is grace for them to be able to, mm-hmm. to show faith. Um, so that, you know, basically the decision is left with them then. So this is the opposing view for anyone listening. Right. Uh, so also, so next question. Um, if once saved, always saved, and I know we always have a bit of a <laughs> issue with that phrase here in the office, uh, but if once saved, always saved is true, then can't I just live my life as I want and still go to heaven? Who wants to take that one? Mm. <laughs> I'll let you guys go before I, you know, go off on a rant. So. Yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> I can rant first, and then you can rant after. How does sure, that, sound? that works. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to just live your life however you wanted to, I mean, that would show like a total disregard for your your um, for your for authentic faith, mm. in my opinion. You know, it you, you, the fruits of the spirit, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't want to live your life just however you wanted to. You'd want to move away from sin and move towards holiness. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with once saved, always saved is not the fact when you're a real Christian, you are always saved. But I think often when we use that phrase, it's kind of in the context a lot of times as if, you know, I've said the prayer, then I must be good. And then it doesn't like I can kind of go on and live my life. Um, 
But the issue with that is you're not really understanding what it means to be truly saved. Mm. Right. Because when somebody, or at least from, again, from our perspective, when somebody's truly saved, um, well, there's, I mean, if you go to John 3, there's this language of being born again. If you go to Ezekiel 36, there's this like language of God, you know, I will give them a new heart. There's this whole transformation that's happening in the person. And well, like John said, if you are a completely transformed person from basically naturally desiring to be to be sinful and loving that sin to then having a new heart that now desires God and, and holiness and hates sin, mm-hmm. not that we never will sin, but that we are, are positioned towards it change, changes. We, we now hate it. We don't like it. We grieve our sin mm-hmm. um, and strive for holiness. And well, yeah, I mean, basically, if that's actually what happens when we're saved— if we're going to hold true to the language that scripture uses, you know, about being born again, about receiving new hearts, about being regenerated. Um, another one in Titus three, I think um, it just, I mean, it makes sense if our, if our lives are going to be transformed, then, then we're going to want, if we're really saved and that really happened to us, then we're not just going to go out and live however we want. We're going to start wanting to live more and more like Jesus. So I think in that, in that, question there's kind of that assumption and maybe a bit of a false assumption about what it really means to be saved um so that's yeah. my rant steve i mean yeah just uh, I, I mean just to add to that the idea is it seems to me that the i that you would assume then that being saved is an event that happens to you mm. and in fact what we're what we would say the more biblical viewpoint would be uh being saved is a state that god places you in you are dead now you are alive Mm-hmm. And it's it's a big process. I think sometimes we often think salvation is basically just justification, right? Whereas it's a much bigger umbrella that goes all the way back to predestination and all the way to when we'll once be glorified, right? Um, so it's a much bigger umbrella, I think, too. And so, by that token, then uh, we would have to say that if you are, sa- it would be nonsensical to say that if you were once saved, you ceased to be saved. It, because you, the salvation itself is the state of being saved. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you didn't put yourself there. Mm-hmm. You didn't decide to be there. God placed you there, and it changed who you are. I mean, uh, in the Old Testament, when it talks about Joseph's brothers, talk they were unable to say a good thing uh, about about Joseph. Well, they, they they spoke ancient Semitic rather nicely. It wasn't a problem with their language. It wasn't a problem with something getting caught in their throat whenever they tried to do it. They just didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when we're lost in sin, it's not that we, uh, you really, really want to follow Jesus, but just can't because, you know, gosh darn it, that sin's in the way. It's because we love our sin more than uh, yeah. than we love God, and so we seek our sin. Well, if you turn to John 8, I mean, Jesus uses the language, we are slaves to our sin. Absolutely. And- as slaves, you obey your master. You don't really get a choice. You just, that's, you right. obey him. So that's, I think that's why he uses that image is because we are just hopelessly bound to mm-hmm. go for our sin over and over and over again. We're slaves to it. Yeah, so, I mean, we look at Ephesians 2 and, uh, you know, I, I did a small sermon on this for my Send Network assessment and it, it, Paul paints, you know, the first half he paints this really extremely bleak picture of humanity. Yeah. You you were you're dead in your sin. You're mm-hmm. subject to the powers of the prince of the air. You know you're you're completely lost and depraved. And then these children switches, of wrath, yeah, children of wrath. And then you can switch to, but God, who is rich in mercy and grace, and he goes on to how God offers that salvation. 
And of course, this gets another problem with the way the question is phrased. The question was phrased, you know, uh, why wouldn't you just get saved and then live how you want? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're saved and you live how you want... That would be how God wants you to live. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In in a sense, yeah, it's like in a sense, you well, you do just live how you want. You you, start to want different things. (laughs) Now, of course, there's also a darker problem here, too. Yeah, the assumption that that's being placed in here with the not once saved, always saved, and again, misusing the thing here, mm. is the, the idea that um, what unsaves you is your sinning. Mm-hmm. And so again, it, 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 it implies this kind of weird understanding of the gospel that when you are saved, God, yes, God saves you by grace, but you've got to work to maintain it. Yeah, that, that's a big, I find that's a big thing. So in the Newfoundland context, we'll say out around the bay, yeah, right? You go around the city, you go out to the smaller communities and that, and having grown up out there, and I mean, you're from out the uh, Bay Roberts area and that, and uh, it's it's a very common thing, right? And growing up, I can remember being told, I told you guys a story, and this is kind of what put me on a bit of a journey trying to understand what God's grace is and what it means to be saved. Um, I was like, I was going through a, a rough patch and I was like, I just don't know what to do with being a Christian anymore. Like I was really struggling with that, right? I was 15 years old. And my friend said to me, he had grown up Anglican, you know, didn't really go much. Mm-hmm. I was just, he's like, basically like, dude, all you gotta do is curse, curse once you're not a Christian anymore. <laughs> and I like, I was just like, no, no. But in my head, I was like, really? Like, I mean, I grew up Pentecostal, but I was like, really, is that all that we think it takes to lose your salvation. And I started to go on this journey of like, how great is God's grace for us, right? Well, and again, in even darker positions, there was a bunch of years ago, the YouTube uh, blasphemy challenge, whereby mm-hmm. people would say that they imagined that they had uh, forestalled the totality of the grace of God by their willingness to record a video on YouTube mm-hmm. saying that they didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's a massive misinterpretation of what the text actually says there. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that, you know, if I do this sin, then I will never be able to go back to God. It's like, that's that's cloud cuckoo land. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I wish they would do a follow-up on that. Can we do a podcast on cloud cuckoo land? <laughs> <laughs> well, we could do a podcast on that verse, though. That would be a great one. <laughs> I think so, too. But. Yeah, I mean, once saved, always saved. It's... it's well, I mean, if the question there is, okay, what do you believe salvation is? Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, so wh- why don't you guys help me understand that? Like, I mean, not me personally, but, you know, <laughs> help me work through um, for our listeners. Like, what do we believe that salvation is? You know, if we say you can't lose your salvation if you're genuinely saved, um, the, what, why is that? I think a lot of it for me comes down to... Um was the passage in it's in Ephesians twice, once in chapter one and once in four about being sealed by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, because the 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 aspect of salvation um, is uh, you know the judgment is coming right. in the end, mm-hmm. and that's what we really want to be saved from is judgment and punishment. Um, so that's why when we we cling to Jesus now. Uh, to be, you know, to be sealed in that salvation, to be with Him eternally in His kingdom, in His presence. Um, I mean, that—that's what it means to me. Is that that whole being sealed and not not like you say, like if I fell off a tall building and and used profanity on the way down before I hit, 
Mm. I could have lived a great life as a Christian, but because I swore on the way down, <laughs> that's all gone now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that seal in the Holy Spirit is, is is what you know is a key aspect of it to me. Yeah, uh, I, I would actually go from the term that we even use it for, use for salvation. I am saved, which isn't I saved. It, the active force in it is something other than me. Mm. It's a passive construction to use grammar. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact is, for the in, under the doctrines of grace and for a Reformed person, the idea of being saved is something that God does to you. It isn't something that you do yourself. Mm. And because it's not something you do yourself, you never had any power over it at all. It wasn't your act. It's God's act. Yeah, and... Basically, I, I mean, I guess it, we could spend a very long time, I think, answering that question. But in short, one of the t- ways that we can really be assured in our faith and know that it, it does last and that we won't lose it or anything like that, lose our salvation, um, is because of the significance of and the totality of what Jesus did on the cross. Mm-hmm. Like when he cried out, it is finished, that includes, you know, our salvation because he paid for sin on our behalf. And because of that, when we put our faith in Christ, um, you know, when, when God changes our heart, when we are saved, as Steve said, it's, it's yeah. you know, um, because Jesus paid for the totality of our sin and, and lends us his righteousness and takes our sin, we stand before God as, as justified through Christ, in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, there's no sin that we can commit that that takes us out of that state because Jesus already paid for it on the cross. So I think that's, that's kind of the beauty of, well, part of the beauty of the gospel. I think we've talked about that in previous episodes, but I mean, that's kind of, I, th- I think maybe bar like the, the first place I'd start if somebody were to say, how can I know that I'm, I'm not going to lose my salvation? Well, if you're really a Christian, if you've really been saved, you, you can't lose it because Jesus, like the work that God did, right. the act of God saving you mm-hmm. is, greater than any kind of sin, any kind of failure, anything that we can do to get out of that. It's yeah. and that's where God's sovereignty I think comes into it. It's not we we fully choose to run to God, we fully choose to have faith, yet you know, God saved us and that that comes from God changing again, yeah. going back to our hearts, changing our hearts from from stone to flesh. And of um, course Ezekiel 36 again, but And of course this just goes back to the difference there is between us and God. The fact is, salvation is God's act. Since it is God's act, God is faithful and true. God is trustworthy. God is capable of carrying through what he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. On the other end, I'm not. Yep. Uh, if salvation was completely in my hands... We lose it. Yep. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's funny, because I've seen some friends um, who, yeah, are not... Would, would not say they're Calvinists, but would subscribe to um, eternal security, we'll say, right? That you right. can't lose your salvation. Um, even, you know, some of my extended family members on my wife's side, you know, we've had conversations about this. And it's interesting, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a Calvinist to believe no. that you can't lose your salvation. I've even had a conversation with my brother who's on a bit of his own journey um, theologically. And we talked about salvation, whether you can lose it or not. And he's like, so how is it... How, how do you make sense of this, right? He was asking me, like, if someone who is um, a Christian, seems to be a Christian for such a long time, say say 20 years, 
and then all of a sudden they walk away from it all. Like, how, how, how do you guys make sense of that? How do you process that? What, what, what would be the approach if you say that you can't lose your salvation, but someone who, you know, has professed Christ, who has attended church for 20-odd years, who has served faithfully, et cetera, et cetera, we can, you know, make a big old list of a resume or whatever, um, but then walk away from it. Like, how, what do we do with that? Yeah, well, I think let me be the first to say, as much as we have kind of answers for these things, there are still many parts of all this that we are uncomfortable with. Yep. Um, and, you know, this isn't an easy thing for us to talk about, but at the same time, we do we do look for answers biblically um, as to what that would look like. But I, I think so, kind of answering the question, but also admitting totally up front, like these kinds of things, they really don't make, I don't think anybody comfortable, no matter what side of the, the Calvinism or not spectrum you're on. I mean, it's always a tragedy when somebody walks away from the church. Um, but my perspective, I guess, on that would be either two things. One is that they weren't actually saved to begin with, mm-hmm. um, or the other is that they still are saved and they're just going through a really rough patch. Um, and I think either way, they need the gospel. It's for Christians and for Absolutely. non-Christians. So either way, our, our you know discipleship, evangelism, it's, it's still the same, pointing to Christ, showing the gospel. And of course, uh, that 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 makes it sound a little bit uh, difficult to understand. But I mean, all of the things that you mentioned—going to church, mm-hmm. uh, serving in the church, uh, figuring, uh, doing all the right things, saying all the right things—none of those save you. What saves you is the faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. Jesus, and, yeah. and to be clear. I, I, I want to be uh, worried about that because, you know, it's not your, the power of your faith. It's the power of the Christ. Mm-hmm. So the question is going to be, did you really have faith in Christ? If you really had faith in Christ, you can be struggling and, and still be saved. If you had faith in your religion, if you had faith in your rule-keeping, if you had faith in your, uh, I don't know, good doctrine or anything like that, I'm sorry, those are nice things but they're not saving things. Jesus yeah, saves. Absolutely. I think it's a it's a real testimony, too, about the fallenness of man. Mm. I've spoken to several people who call themselves uh, former Christians, and when I asked them, like, what was the point in which that you, you chose to walk away from your faith, it always came down to, like, a human emotion or reaction, an impulsive behavior. I prayed for this person to, to get healed. They didn't get healed. So I don't believe in God no more. You know, it, it's that kind of logic mm-hmm. that they don't see it as illogical, but they they allow their emotions and their um, you know, just it's a multi-layered kind of thing that that caused them to just walk away from their faith over like usually one one or two small incidents. Yeah. Sorry, and I was just going to say that, it, and and of course we don't know what any individual person is going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to be careful to you know be clear that we're not saying if you've walked away from the faith, that obviously you fit into this camp. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, not being saved means you don't have faith in Jesus, and faith is a gift of of God. Yeah, I've often said actually that, you know, uh, for people like that, John's like, your faith obviously wasn't in Jesus, it was in a part of the faith. It was in, like, that God could heal, or your faith was in, you know, this pastor or that pastor or that teacher, and when they had, say, maybe a major falling out or something was exposed about them, um, then you're like, oh, that's it, I'm walking away. Well, then your faith wasn't in Jesus, because if your faith is in Jesus, you realize pastors are not perfect, other Christians are not perfect, 
teachers are not perfect. They're, they're going to fail you. The only one that can't fail you is, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. And yeah. uh, essentially, too, you know, what you're doing is, you know, by saying that you can lose your salvation is that if salvation is making a dead person alive spiritually, then somehow you are making yourself dead again, which was a work of God to begin with. So it's, yeah, it's really hard to imagine how we have the power to be able to do something like that. Um, Anyways, guys, this is great for our first episode on this. Uh, Look forward to um, another episode on this. And actually, I'll give you the questions in advance. So look forward to next time to, are we just robots that God is controlling because he's sovereign over everything? And why is God only choosing to save some and creating people for hell? Um, so I'm sure, um, you, I'm hoping that's caught your attention. You'll look forward to the next episode. Uh, so thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. And I look forward to uh, our next conversation. Thank you. Cheers. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.